So now we have the opportunity to practice meditation. So as we're sitting here, we have our left, our right foot placed on our left leg and our right hand on our left palm. And we establish our body in an upright posture. We place our mindfulness to the front, to the fore. And what that means is that we know our breath as it comes in and as it leaves. And this is the practice of the Dhamma. Sometimes when we're listening to a talk, but we're watching our breath, uh, we may not uh, be able to intellectually recall what the meaning of the talk is, because our mind is uh, focused there on the breath until it reaches a state of peace. And so as we watch our breath um, come in and leave, on the in-breath we can internally recite Bud, and on the out-breath recite Do. There may be thoughts coming up at this time. There may be doubts, uh, speculations, maybe um, fantasies about the future or recalling things in the past. But the Buddha taught us that we should place our mindfulness to the fore, which means keeping it here in this present moment, keeping it with our meditation word, our meditation mantra, and having our mindfulness established right here and now. During the day, we should also try to keep our mindfulness with us, uh, no matter what we're doing. Try to practice uh, constantly. Because as Ajahn Chah taught, the days and nights are constantly passing by, passing by. So what are we doing with our time right now? He would ask us how many um, times a day we recollected death. In the same manner that uh, the Buddha asked his attendant, Venerable Ananda, how many times he recollected death each day. And Venerable Ananda responded that it was seven times a day. The Buddha said that that was too little, that he himself recollected death with each and every in and out breath. So we have our mindfulness here. Try to establish ourselves here in the present but to not attach to the present moment. And this is how the Buddha practiced. He had his uh, mind there in the present moment, but wasn't attached to anything that occurred. If we're able to uh, keep our awareness here in this present moment throughout the day, then when we come to sit meditation, we'll gain peace very quickly, and we'll be able to clearly know the in and out breath. After watching our breath like this for some time and being with a state of peace, then eventually piti or rapture will arise. There will be vitaka and vichara, uh, piti and sukha. So the application of the mind and the analysis and then uh, rapture and happiness. So this vitaka, it's bringing up the breath as the object of our minds. And vichara is knowing the breath, knowing how it is, analyzing our breath. 
So we don't go and analyze external things. We don't go and analyze the political situation or things that are happening at work. But what we're doing is we're knowing whether the breath is coming in or whether it's leaving. We know whether the breath is short at that point or whether it's long. And this is vichara. When our mindfulness is firm and constant, uh, keeping track of the breath, um, and we have these qualities of vitaka and vichara continuously there, then a fullness of heart will manifest. And this is what we call piti. This can come up in different ways. It can have uh, many ways that it uh, expresses itself in our bodies and minds. And sometimes uh, the hair in our body may stand on end. or We may get goosebumps. There may be a feeling of a tingling which covers the body. Or it may feel like our body is expanding outwards until it fills up the entire hall. It may feel like we're growing taller and taller until it may feel like we may break through the ceiling. It may get uh, different uh, impressions like this. But when we open up our eyes, then we'll see that nothing's happened. We're just sitting there normally. So there are different feelings which come up within the mind because of peacefulness and calm. Maybe one of our hands will vanish, or both hands. Our feet may vanish as well. Or maybe that half our body uh, goes. And as we carry on practicing, watching our breath, and the peacefulness becomes more still and calm, then eventually the entire body will vanish. It'll feel like we don't have a body at all, like it's just the mind that's there, calm and still and peaceful. When we can bring our minds into a state of calm and peace uh, to the next level, then it'll feel like our body is floating up into the air. And these are the five kinds of rapture that can manifest for us. So as we have these qualities of vitaka, vichara, piti, sukha, and as we develop them, then eventually they'll gather together into ekakada, the one-pointedness of mind, the mind that's gathered together into just one point or one place. And this is apana samadhi, access concentration. But at the beginning, it won't be like this. We won't be able to get into apana samadhi. We may have uh, vitaka and vichara, which gives rise to a fullness of heart. And this could last for half an hour or a full hour. And we'll notice that when our mind retracts from that, it'll be endowed with energy and power. We then take that to look through our bodies and so we can see clearly that they're unstable and constantly changing, that they're stressful and they're not self. We can investigate Vedana and feeling and see clearly as well that it's always changing and that it's just merely feeling, nothing more than that. There's no being there, there's no self or other within those feelings. So we'll see that all of these feelings that come up in the mind 
Um, there's no self to it. They're all not self. And anything, any thoughts in the mind, no matter what quality those thoughts are, they're not self as well. See that the mind is merely the mind. It's anatta. Anything that arises, we can also perceive that as being dhamma, just a phenomena. And it's merely that, a phenomena that's arising. Whether it's uh, kusala or akusala, whether it's skillful or unskillful, it's still dhamma, just the same. And we practice until we gain a sense of clarity around these uh, perceptions. And a very important place to focus our attention is in the body because we cling and attach to these things and give them the label of being me and mine. So having attached to it in this way, we then bring the peaceful mind to investigate it until we see clearly that really it's not self. And by doing this, we'll be changing the Sakya Ditti, the self-view, this wrong view that we have into right view. Because Sakya Ditti is self-view, and then skeptical doubts and attachments to rites and rituals. These are the things that have bound our hearts, that have encased our hearts for a very long time, for many, many lives now. And any birth that we've taken in the past, including this birth as well, the reason that we come into these forms and we've been born again is because we believe in the sense of self. And this is the cause of us cycling around endlessly in samsara, because we have a self and we have things that belong to this self. The Buddha taught us that Initially, we should practice dana and sila, that we should be generous and we should take up the precepts. Having done this, we then take up the practice of cultivating samadhi, collecting our minds inwards and making them firm and grounded. As we take up this practice, however, we'll quickly notice that it's more difficult than uh, developing generosity and morality. But when we do engage in this practice, then after some time, and probably not too long, the mind will gain some peace. It will be a temporary form of peace, though, and this is what we call kanaka samadhi. So maybe the mind will gather together into a place of calm for just a single moment, or it may just be a short time and then it'll disappear or fade away. But we just carry on with this and we make sure that our mindfulness is firm and well-established. Trying to always develop samadhi, always bring up feelings of peacefulness in the heart. Whether we're walking, we're sitting, we're standing, or we may be listening to a Dharma talk, we can gain these feelings of peace within the heart. And this is kanaka samadhi. So it's possible to do it uh, in these other postures and doing other activities as well, not just sitting in meditation. Even though kanaka samadhi is a minor form of uh, collectedness, it still has great importance for us because 
this is the initial foundation that we use to gain familiarity with the collected mind. And if we can bring up this kanaka samadhi frequently, um, then our minds will uh, be firmly established frequently. So one method of doing this is we can chant, and we have our minds um, there with that chanting, grounded in the sound of the chanting. And we'll be able to feel peace through that. As we carry on with it, then the heart will feel very full. And this is a sign that we've gained samadhi from this. So when we've been generous, when we've uh, committed charitable deeds, and we've maybe offered food to the monks, and then we've come and listened to the Dhamma, this is also a fullness of heart that we gain from this. It's a happiness that uh, we can call uh, niramita sukha, which is a form of inner contentment that doesn't depend on external objects. It's joy that comes up from building goodness and from the good deeds that we've done. And this is niramita sukha. Sitting in meditation, we feel both joy and we can also gain wisdom from it as well. Both our body and mind will feel buoyant and light. And if we have any tiredness or exhaustion from the work that we've done through the day, then that will be uh, expelled as well. So for myself, uh, I also practiced in the same way, the same way that all the lay people who are listening are practicing, that I had a job as well, and, uh, but I was also very intent on training myself in samadhi. I would keep the five precepts on a regular basis and then uh, moved up to the eight precepts. And I was trying to cultivate uh, samadhi every day. So after work, when I got back, I would sit in meditation and bring my mind to stillness. And both my heart and my body felt very buoyant. It felt like I was floating in midair. And all of the exhaustion, these uh, tired feelings from having worked eight hours, they all vanished. And this is what happens when we give the mind uh, full rest, when we really... Um, allow it to settle down, then the exhaustion that we feel in the body, that will all uh, vanish as well. And we do this by resting our mind in the state of samadhi. So we can see that collectedness of mind, it has many benefits. And these benefits can be sent out into our daily affairs and into our work as well. Because if our minds have energy, then it'll be easy for us to succeed in the tasks that we undertake at work. When we carry on practicing and the body and mind feel very light like this, then this is Upajara Samadhi, neighborhood concentration. And Upajara Samadhi is the basis uh, upon which insight can arise. However, Upajara Samadhi itself is uh, Samatha Kamatana. It's the 
a method of meditation which brings about tranquility, which brings about peace. And then when we come out of that calm state, we use the energy we've gained to contemplate into this body, separating it, separating it out into its various parts. We can see that it's just a collection of elements or a collection of unattractive things. We can pile it up into different uh, qualities or different sections. And all of this is in order to see the body as being uh, unstable, as being stressful and not self. So Ajahn Chah would often teach that the objects of the mind which bring about wisdom are anicca, dukkha and anatta. So if we focus on these things and we use them in our meditation practice, then we will gain wisdom from that. We will know and see clearly into the Dhamma. And so this peace of mind, um, I also practiced uh, this as well when I was a layperson. And I gained uh, a clear insight into the body. And it was one level of wisdom that arose. And then as... Uh, this insight came about um, that was then conducive to uh, keeping sila and keeping morality and developing samadhi and maintaining mindfulness as well. So all of these qualities in the path of sila samadhi banya, they all lend a hand to each other and help each other out. Sometimes it's difficult to just look at the breath, and be with the meditation mantra of Buddha. The mind won't want to stay there. So while there is all of these memories coming up, all of these thoughts and this proliferation, we should use that. We don't just allow that to take control of us, but we, we utilize all of those thoughts. And we bring it to contemplate our bodies. We bring up memories of what this body is like and we think about it. We do this in order to gain peace of mind. So if we sit in meditation for 30 minutes, then we can look through this body for those 30 minutes and ask ourselves what it's like. I did this myself. I'd sit there and I'd think about, well, what were these bodies like when we were born, when I was born? Initially, it was just a couple of cells, and there was uh, just fluid there. Then, as it developed and grew, it turned into a zygote. And then as it grew even more, then it turned into a fetus, and then into a fully formed human body. But all of this depended upon the food and the liquid I gained from my mother. So we can also ask ourselves, well, now these bodies depend upon many things as well, don't they? We all depend upon warmth. We depend upon air and water. So why is it that I take this as being a me and a mine? If there was no air, then would the body be able to survive or would it die? If there was no water, would it die? If there was no solidity to the body, would it die then? 
And if there was no warmth, if the fire element just went completely from the body, what would it be like? It would just die, wouldn't it? So as we gradually, slowly but steadily, go about contemplating in this manner, and we can use our memories, we can use the things that we've heard before and we've read before in order to uh, contemplate. So our minds are still proliferating, but they're doing that within the bounds of our kamatana meditation object, within just this one topic. We see that when these four elements uh, start to decay, as that process develops, it'll reach a point where we call it the death of the body. And after it dies, it'll fall apart. It'll start decaying and rotting. And eventually, it'll just be uh, bones scattered about the place. If we look into that process, then we won't be able to find any true self to it. So when we sit in meditation for half an hour, we can contemplate like this for this half hour. And we'll be able to reach some level of peace through doing that. Maybe wisdom won't arise yet. So we go back over it many, many times until our minds do start to really calm down. There won't be any thoughts there. Our minds won't be proliferating anymore. And they'll feel very still and light. They'll settle down into this calm. We'll be able to see the breath very clearly. So when the mind has settled down like this and there's joy and happiness uh, manifesting in the heart, then when it retracts from that state of samadhi, we use that energy to look through our bodies until wisdom can arise. And we can call this wisdom that develops samadhi. Initially, we have to um, use our wisdom within the bounds of just thoughts. It'll just be on the level of bringing up memories and um, thinking about things, thinking about what we've heard before and what we've read before. And that's okay. We use that for now. But when our samadhi has reached fullness after a period of time, and the mind will gather together and will really start to be able to see into the truth, to see into the nature of physicality and mentality, to see that all of these things are just, um, they're all changing, they're all stressful, they're not self. We'll be able to understand the nature of conventions as well. So just like everyone who came into this hall today, there was probably some kind of feeling that came up about the hall. You can see that if there were 500 people sitting here, then we would feel that the hall is small. If there were only 10 people sitting here, then we'll feel that it's very big. But this bigness or smallness, it all resides in the proliferation of our minds. In reality, however, the hall is just, it's just a natural thing. It just depends on nature. It follows elements. 
and it doesn't claim to be anything at all. This claiming of it to be like this or that, it's just the movement of our minds. So when we know this and see this clearly, then we'll see into the nature of things and understand for ourselves uh, conventions that they're just that way. It's just our mind that gives meaning and importance to things. And I had this experience myself as well. And there was a great rapture and joy. And the mind felt very light along with the body. And this uh, was a constant experience both day and night. It was to the point I, I felt so full in my heart that I didn't want to eat anything. So when the mind is very stable and uh, samadhi is constant, then this is what it's like. I could see that the lives of all beings are heading towards death. And my life as well, it's moving steadily towards death. could see that all people and all bodies, they're all impermanent things. And nothing in this world lasts. None of it is stable. There's no essence to it at all. It's all constantly changing. There's no me there, no mind there. And everything in this world will have to be separated from each other. When I saw this, I felt that even if someone were to come and offer me all of the gold in the world, I wouldn't want any of it. None of that would give me pleasure in any way. None of the happiness that could come from that could compare even slightly to the joy that comes from seeing the Dhamma and the happiness that arises from samadhi. Because when the mind is in samadhi, then greed, hatred, and delusion just aren't working in the mind. It feels like they're not there at all. And this occurs for many days and nights. You could see that um, this Dhamma, this teachings of the Buddha, it really does bring results. And the Dhamma is Svakata Dhamma. It's the Dhamma that's really well taught. Even though the Buddha already has passed into Fano Nibbana, if we engage in this practice of sila samadhi banya that the Buddha pointed out, then we'll be able to come across and meet the Buddha for ourselves in our own hearts. So we have great faith in these teachings of the Buddha and in the Buddha himself. And we can develop that to the point where it doesn't degenerate at all. So when the mind is able to gather together into upajara samadhi, neighborhood concentration, um, oh, sorry, even though my mind was able to gather together into neighborhood concentration, it was still a sankara, it was still a conditioned phenomena that's of the nature to arise, last for a while, and cease. And so after a time, that level of samadhi degenerated, and so did the wisdom that I had gained. And so through this experience, I gain further knowledge into the nature of conventions.
Not long after that, I went to Wat Nombapong, Ajahn Chah's monastery, and uh, took full ordination as a monk there. But practicing there and trying to regain that Upajara Samadhi, trying to get back to the happiness and collectedness of mind, it wasn't easy at all. I really had to throw myself into the practice to uh, do sitting, walking, sitting meditation, walking meditation a lot. To try to um, get back to what I had known and experienced before, this collectedness of mind that uh, was able to sustain itself for many days and seeing into the true nature of the Dhamma, seeing into the nature of all material things. Having seen this, I felt like I didn't want anything in the world, that all I desired was to seek out the Dhamma, because I understood that to whatever degree the mind is endowed with truth, with Dhamma, then it'll experience happiness to that degree. And this came from, this knowledge came from things that I had experienced and seen for myself before. So when our contemplation and our level of samadhi starts to degenerate, then we need to bring up our effort and be devoted to the practice and devoted to uh, bringing our minds back into concentration. As we sit in meditation, then the mind can go back and forth between upajara samadhi and kanaka samadhi. And it's in this point between Kanaka Samadhi and Upajara Samadhi that we really need to fight with a lot of different emotions that come up. Sometimes we feel very drowsy and sleepy, or sometimes irritated and angry. All of the different manifestations of greed, hatred and delusion can arise in the mind at that point. So we have to fight on. We can't just give up. We have to struggle with these five hindrances that can overtake and cover over our minds. Because at that point, we won't be able to destroy these hindrances. So for myself, during my first and second years as a monk, um, usually at least once per day, I was able to reach a state of Upajara Samadhi where my mind felt very calm and still and there was a, an emptiness to the heart. But I really had to work at it, do a lot of sitting meditation, spend many hours doing walking meditation, trying to always look after my heart, make sure that it's in a good state. Ajahn Chah emphasized keeping our mindfulness here in this present moment to not allow it to go off into the past or the future, but to keep it here, to always be collecting our minds in, uh, practicing this restraint of the senses, uh, indriya sangvara. So whenever our eye uh, sees a form, or whenever we hear something, we taste something, we smell something, our body uh, contacts a tactile sensation, or a thought comes into the mind, then we need to train our minds in order to not allow us to 
go off and get caught into liking or disliking. And this practice of not allowing the mind to be caught in liking or disliking is the practice of keeping the mind here in the present moment with the Bhachubana Dhamma. Ajahn Chah said that during the rains retreat, um, there was one monk who made the determination to keep his mind just within the bounds of the monastery. Another monk made the determination to keep his heart within the bounds of his kuti, his hut. And there was a senior monk who determined to just have his mind stay within his body for the entire reigns. And this was Ajahn Chah's method of teaching us to keep our mindfulness and our minds here in this present moment. To not allow them to go thinking out of the monastery, to not allow them to leave uh, our huts or to leave our bodies. And this shows that this one monk's samadhi and sati must have been very good and very uh, firmly established if he was able to keep his mind within his body constantly. He must have had uh, great strength to his mindfulness. Ajahn Chah would teach the laity to try to develop merit, to uh, bring up goodness as much as possible. When the lay people had to engage in work, then to do that mindfully and to always try to keep the mind in a collected state. That when they'd finished their work, um, they should also uh, engage in meditation as well. For the monks, he would teach many methods uh, of meditation. And if the mind was very sleepy and drowsy, he would suggest for the monks to walk backwards in meditation or to um, splash their faces with water. <clears throat> or they could try looking up at the stars. He taught many different methods of meditation. And um, when I was there from the very first year, uh, he taught me everything about the practice. He was a teacher that I had a huge amount of faith and devotion, great and very deep respect for. It was like he was my mother, my father, and my teacher all in one. And he taught me everything about this way of practice and about uh, the duties of monks. And I desired to be with him for a very long time, to never be parted from him, to never be separated because of the profound metta, loving-kindness that he had. <clears throat> 